you have a Bible, we are in Ecclesiastes 10 this morning. Ecclesiastes 10, starting with verse 1 all the way through chapter 11, verse 10. We're going to cover a lot of ground this morning. I'm just going to pull out certain themes in this passage of Scripture. If you need a Bible, if you've got some ushers coming down the aisles, raise a hand. They'll get one in your hand. You can use it this morning. Thanks for being here in person. Thanks for those joining us online, those in traditions, those uh, at the Kendrick campus. Guys, thanks for taking the time to fill out uh, the survey that we offered last week. We are approaching a thousand surveys. Isn't that remarkable? Wow, you, I mean, that's, that's impressive. So thanks for taking the time to do that. If you haven't had the chance to do that, the QR code is still in your bulletin. You can still do that as of today. So the best way to summarize uh, the book of Ecclesiastes from the time that we began in the book all the way through where we're heading today is actually with a question. What meaning does this life have if this is all there is? If there's nothing beyond the here and now, if there's nothing new under the sun, nothing more than we can see with our own eyes or, or touch with our own hands and experience with each passing day, if this is it, then much of what Solomon has talked about makes total sense, doesn't it? So far, everything Solomon has given us is from this under the sun mentality. This is all there is kind of perspective. Now we'll start to see in, in chapter 10, Solomon inching forward towards a new perspective and a phrase that I like to use is, and where he's heading is this idea of living intentionally, intentionally for eternity. It's life, it's an acronym. You can tell me I like acronyms, right? Living intentionally for eternity. Remember that the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is looking at life from his own vantage point, through his own lens. Unfortunately, he uses his wisdom, his own wisdom, apart from God, as he's evaluating everything, as he does all these experiments. He experiments with life to find purpose. He's like, I, I'm setting out in life, I gotta find purpose and meaning, what this life is all about, to make sense of things. And he concludes every single time, it's meaningless. By chapter six, he's exhausted, he's empty. In chapter seven, we see Solomon turning uh, towards God and this time he begins to, to write about true wisdom. He has been writing about wisdom all along, but he's been writing about his own wisdom. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the definition of biblical wisdom of where we're heading today. Here's the definition, wisdom from a biblical perspective and I've never thought about it like this, is this. It's the application of the knowledge of God. That's what biblical wisdom is. It's the application of the knowledge of God. It's to know about God and to know his word, but then it's, it's more than that. It's not just to know about him or his word, it's to actually apply it. It's both practical and theological. And so a worldly perspective of wisdom is theoretical, impractical, philosophical, um, is what you might use, words you might use to describe uh, an earthly wisdom. So biblical wisdom, where he's starting to lean, teaches us how to act. It teaches us how to make decisions. It teaches us how to be in relationships with one another, how to spend our money. So unlike worldly wisdom that is more philosophical, that's more uh, nebulous, uh, biblical wisdom is, giving to, is given to us through the word of God and it's based on the character of who God is. And so I see in the first seven verses, know the danger of foolishness, first seven verses. 
There's some strange things in here, but just listen, it's really interesting. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. That's verse one, okay? We begin to see some of the shift that's taking place starting in verse one. A dead fly, when it rots in ointment or perfume, ruins the whole batch. One small fly in comparison to an entire jar of perfume can spoil the whole jar. A dead fly in perfume turns fragrance into odor, into a stink, into a smell. Uh, We all have different tastes, right, of smells, of perfume and cologne, but maybe you've passed somebody at one point and you're like, man, that smells like a dead fly, right? In the same way, a little bit of foolishness, so here's this point, a little bit of foolishness in our life can spoil our reputation. You can spend your whole life, maybe you know somebody like this, building a reputation and one foolish act can take it all away. He's using the analogy of something precious and valuable and a tiny little bitty fly can wreck it. In the same way, a little bit of sin or foolishness can wreck a person's good reputation. Uh, An example is in scripture. Uh, You remember David, a man after God's own heart. That's kind of what we know David for, right? He's a man who's chasing heart after God. And he received accolades to to the tune of being Israel's greatest king. And yet, he is equally, if not more, known for his sin with Bathsheba. When David should have been in the fight to advance God's kingdom, he was at home watching a girl next door take a bath. He got lazy and apathetic and and brought down the kingly line and, and rained havoc in the entire kingdom. A little foolishness can wreck a great reputation. I want you to ask yourself this question. Is there any area of my life, personalize this, where I'm flirting with disaster? Is there any area of my life where I'm flirting with disaster? Is there an area where I'm one decision away from ruining my reputation? Verse two and three, the heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. The right hand or or the right arm um, points to wisdom. It's associated with strength and and integrity and and morality. The left side, no respect to left-handed people, is associated with weakness and immorality or the lack of integrity in scripture. So what Solomon is saying is just wait, just wait. A fool will always show his true colors. In the day in and day out, a fool reveals their foolishness through their attitude and and through the way that they behave or through through their actions and they are not applying the knowledge of God. They're not applying wisdom. So wisdom isn't just taking knowledge in. Oh, I'll just learn scripture, I'll study scripture, I'll just take all this knowledge in. It's the application of the knowledge. 
The proof is in the pudding. If you, if you say, oh, that person right there, that's a wise person. I've met many knowledgeable believers that lack wisdom because they don't apply what they know. Many who can defend the faith but refuse to seek forgiveness. Many who can memorize scripture but are unkind and lack compassion. Many who read and study theology but are unforgiving and choose not to exercise grace. So foolishness ruins a good reputation and foolishness will be revealed. Verse four, if a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. Foolish people in power threaten people. What is he saying? If there's a foolish leader or someone in power that is acting irrationally, because that is what foolish people do, Solomon says here, keep your post, just hold on, wait. He's saying, don't be so quick to bolt and give up, give it time. Be diligent and work hard doing what you were called to do, what you were hired to do. Write out the, the tantrums of a boss or an employer in time, they will settle down. Verse five, there is an evil I have seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions while the rich occupy the low ones. We see all of the time wicked and foolish people get promoted and faithful wise people get demoted. Maybe you've experienced that. Eventually a faithful person can become a threat to a foolish person who abuses their power. A faithful person can become a threat. Do you ever experience that as a believer, as a follower of Christ? I experience that, we all experience that. To the foolish, we believers are a threat when we live according to a standard that is different than a worldly standard. If we live to a standard that's different than a worldly standard, you are a threat. When a believer says, I am pro-life, they are a threat. When a believer says the Bible is my standard of truth, that's what I choose to follow and live by, they are a threat. When a believer says marriage is between a man and a woman, they are a threat. When a believer doesn't support a certain cause because of what that cause aligns with, they are a threat. When a believer wants prayer in a public place, they are a threat. We are a threat when we stand for a moral standard that gets blamed for making people feel uncomfortable about their choices. Verse seven, I have seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves. God in his own time always honors the one who is faithful and who applies the knowledge of God. All of us can act a fool, right? Even as a believer, when we don't apply the knowledge of God, we lean towards foolishness. What areas are you tempted and am I tempted that could lead us to foolishness? To make foolish decisions that not only affect us, but that maybe affect our family. 
times when we don't heed God's word and, and apply the biblical principles that are taught in God's word, he gives us to live by, and we not only lose our reputation, but cause great harm. All of this to say places of power and rule are not always based on merit. More often, people are put into positions by unaccountable decisions of placement. In other words, they're just, they're just put there, maybe for favoritism or, or it's who you know. So wisdom is not associated to a position. We can't say, oh, just because a person is in a high position, they, are, they must be a wise person. They, they don't go hand in hand. More of our position is in Christ. So wisdom, we are being told, is gained and learned, not assumed. A believer's wisdom increases when they spend time with God. When you spend time with God, your wisdom increases. When you allow the word of God, as you are studying the word of God, to shape you and mold you and change you, and you're beginning to live according to the word of God and apply the word of God, apply the knowledge of God, that's what wisdom is, you're growing in wisdom. Even Jesus grew in wisdom. Verses eight through 11, plan wisely. Who, listen to these statements. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. If the ax is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. If a snake bites before it is charmed, the charmer receives no fee. Those are interesting statements, aren't they? So many statements of caution here. At night, this is kind of what it says. At night, don't forget about the hole that you dug during the day or you'll break your ankle. If you need to tear down an old wall, watch out for snakes. If you need rocks to build, be careful that one doesn't fall and hit a piece of wood and the wood flies up and smacks you in the face. If you're going to use an ax for a project, verse 10 says, sharpen it ahead of time or you're gonna have a ton more work. They're, they're just wise statements. All of these kind of sound like, uh, you know, uh, if we were to ask the question, hey, what are some of the things that your mom and dad told you as you were being brought up? What are some of those statements that they use that you're like, oh, I remember my mom and dad always saying that. And they would just, you could just rattle off some of those statements maybe. And then there are some things you wish your mom and dad would have told you as, you as you were growing up. And one of those things for me would be, don't jump over a garden rake that's laying on the ground. And so if you don't know what a garden rake is, it's, it's about 18 inches wide. It's the, it's the solid steel kind of a rake. It's not a, it's not a lawn rake for leaves. It's a garden rake. And you say, so I'm chasing my sister around the house and I see a garden rake on the ground and I'm seven years old. And of course I think I can jump over it. And I jump to go over the garden rake and you, I already know what you're thinking. You're thinking I landed on it and the thing came up and hit me in the face. No, I landed on the rake and the prong on the end of the rake went into my foot. Not only into my foot, but all the way through my foot. And I could see it out the top. And I thought, wish my mom and dad would have told me not to jump over a garden rake. Um, they probably did. My brother ran over, grabbed me, tried to pull the rake out, couldn't get it out, carried me and the rake to the front porch, yanked it out. Went to the hospital, had a broken foot, cast, all that. 
Wisdom now tells me, don't jump over a garden rake laying on the ground. Hopefully I just saved somebody else, a hospital bill. But take a minute, just listen to this, take a minute and think about some of the wisdom statements in God's word. I'll share some with you, just reflect on them. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and he will make your path straight. Guard your heart above all else. It is the wellspring of life. Be gentle with your answer so you don't stir up wrath. You can plan all you want, but God directs your steps. Conceal your sins and you will not go far. Confess them and you'll find mercy. Your name is more important than riches. Be generous and be blessed. Be careful with hot-tempered people or you may become like them. When there's danger, take refuge. The simple keep moving and pay the penalty. Maybe you can think of some times when you didn't heed the wisdom of God and his word and it came back to bite you. Let me reverse some of the statements. Maybe you didn't trust in the Lord and your path wasn't straight. Maybe you didn't guard your heart above all else. Maybe you weren't gentle with your answer and it did strip wrath. Maybe there was danger and you didn't take refuge and you just kept moving ahead. So remember, wisdom is the application of God's knowledge. The Bible says when we apply God's wisdom, we gain protection, strength, direction, understanding, honor, respect, and guidance. So the challenge is find an area of your life where your ax is dull and sharpen it before it's too late. Wrestle with the hard things, even if they run cross grain with our society. Make the hard decisions, even if you know, when you know that they are right. Stand up for what you know God's word teaches. We all have a choice. Either life will live us or we're gonna live our life. When life lives us, we're just along for the ride and we go wherever the wind blows. But if we live life, we must lean on God's word and do what it says. What? area of your life does your axe need sharpened and you know it verse 12 through 14 words from the mouth of the wise are gracious but fools are consumed by their own lips At the beginning, their words are folly. At the end, they are wicked madness. And fools multiply words. No one knows what is coming. Who can tell someone else what will happen after them? Just a quick statement. Like Solomon, what we know and have personally experienced is that the righteous get what the wicked deserve and the wicked get what the righteous deserve. Such contradiction is meaningless is what he's saying. Let's keep going, verse 15. The toil of fools wearies them. They do not know the way to town. Woe to the land whose king was a servant 
and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed is the land whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at proper time for strength and not drunkenness. Through laziness, the rafters sag because of idle hands, the house leaks. Solomon here in these few verses is pointing to a time in history in reference to the Israelites, God's chosen people, when they had immature and irresponsible leaders. Leaders who were in positions of authority but lacked great wisdom. And guys, this could be any one of us. They cared only about themselves. They were selfish and they were lazy. Verse 19, a feast is made for laughter. Wine makes life merry and money is the answer for everything. Do not revile the king even in your thoughts or curse the rich in your bedroom because a bird in the sky may carry your words and a bird on the wing may report what you said. The thrill of the moment is short-lived. The numbness of wine runs out. The new purchase wears off. Money is never the answer. Money is a common theme all the way through the book of Ecclesiastes. And I spoke at Crew, which is a college ministry a couple of weeks ago on the topic of money. What does the Bible have to say about money? So these were, uh, majority were all college students. And I opened with a, fur, a few verses and statements that I wanna share with you because I think they're a great reminder to all of us. The thrill of the moment is short-lived, the numbness of wine runs out, the new purchases wear off. Mark 8:36 says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What is that saying? If we're not careful, the lure of money can cost us our eternity. Philippians 4.19 says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. What is that saying? Money is not the source for having our needs met, God is. He is faithful to take care of us. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Did you know that that verse, I mean, we've heard that over and over again, I will not leave you, I will not forsake you, is in reference to him taking care of us instead of the love of money. The love of money is false security. Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. What is that saying? The love of money can lead us astray, causing all kinds of evil in our lives. Proverbs 22.7 says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. What is that saying? Too much debt is paralyzing. Proverbs 23, four and five says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. They come and go like an eagle comes and goes. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, whoever loves money never has enough. <clears throat> whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. What is that saying? Our pockets have holes and we always think, that we need to make more. Luke 12, 15, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed if life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So what is that saying? Greed will fill your garage, but not your life. 
So in verses eight through 18, Solomon says, plan wisely. Apply God's knowledge to life and live wisely. And money is just one of those areas. Thirdly, chapter 11, verses one through 10, prepare for the unpredictability of life. This is what it says. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Do things now for the possibility of being rewarded later is what he's saying. But don't, you don't know for sure. Use all your opportunities in life very carefully because no one knows what tomorrow is going to bring. All of this to say we do not know what bad things will happen. So enjoy what God has given you now. Verse three and on. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning and in the evening, let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy all of them. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Verse nine, you who are young, be happy while you are young and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off troubles of your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. Man, there's a lot there. So now Solomon begins talking about the risk and the reward of life. There are opportunities put before us and at times, and rather than always playing it safe, seize the opportunity is a little bit of what he's saying. The uncertainty of life is not a license to do nothing. And so we could, we could live paralyzed and say, well, we don't know what's gonna happen today. We don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. We don't know what's gonna happen next week. And so we do nothing. Is there such thing as a risk for a believer? Still remember sitting in an adult Sunday school class years and years and years ago and the topic came up. The question was asked, is there such thing as a risk for a believer of Christ? The answer is not simple. If we are perfect in our ability to seek God and listen to his voice and follow his direction and do it perfectly every time, then the answer is no. There will never be a risk. There's no such thing as a risk in that scenario. How can it be a risk if we never make a mistake in following God's lead? But if we're human and don't have a perfect record and following God's voice, then there are many things that could feel risky. What feels like a risk is just another opportunity for us though to pause 
in life and say, well, this feels like a risk. It just, it's just God, in a sense, giving us another opportunity to slow down, to pause, and to seek him even more. It can act as a reminder that we are not in control and we need to seek the one who is. And so when you have prayed, when you've sought God's word, when you've sought advice and counsel from someone that you can trust and you know that they too are following the Lord and you're just putting it before them and you see how God is leading you, step out in faith. It's time. God's invitation and your faith mitigate the risk. But I'm gonna go back through that because all those pieces are crucial. When you have prayed, I'm not talking about a feeling in your gut. When you've prayed and you've sought the Lord, when you've sought God's word and you've, and you've, and you've sought out advice and counsel from somebody who's trusted that you know is also looking to God, and you see how God is leading you, step out in faith. If we wait for the perfect moment when everything makes sense, our inactivity will cause us to miss out. What is God inviting you to do right now? And you know it. The Bible reminds us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. God's knowledge, friends, teaches us how to live. Are we doing foolish things that don't align with the knowledge of God? Are we not doing things that we should be in order to follow the knowledge of God? Here's the one thing I wanna leave you with. Wisdom is the application of God's knowledge. James 1.5. Here's what you can leave with this morning. If any of you lacks wisdom, me, you should ask. You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. God, I pray uh, this morning that um, as we've looked again to the book of Ecclesiastes and Solomon's words, as he's starting to turn this corner and realizing that, man, life is empty without God. And that true wisdom, Lord, is us applying the knowledge of God to our lives. It isn't just reading scripture. It isn't just praying. It isn't just listening to a sermon. It isn't, it's not, it's all those things, but, but it's us taking what you're teaching us and, and applying it. That's wisdom. God, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your grace. But Lord, you're also calling us to not be idle. You're calling us to do the things, to apply the things that you're teaching us. Thank you, Lord. 
Jesus' name, amen.